Welcome everyone to the Ed Essentials Podcast. I want to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for being part of this community. You know, as a third year teacher, community has been such an important piece to my growth as an educator. And without the people I've been able to come in contact with through this community of Ed Essentials, I would be in a much different place as an educator. So I'm so thankful for all the people that continue to connect with me, whether it's through social media, through the podcast, however it is, I want to say thank you. I also want to say thank you to all of the guests that have come on the show thus far. 47 episodes in, and I'm reflecting on all the people that I've been able to reach out to and come in contact with, um, people that I never would have imagined would have given up their time uh, to talk to a third-year teacher on a podcast. And so I am so thankful um, for the people that have come on the show, and I'm excited to share all of the upcoming guests that we have. I really think that you guys are going to love the future guests that we have coming. So without further ado, for episode 47, we have Dr. Danny Trimble. Danny Trimble is a superintendent for Albertette Schools here in Iowa. And the reason I wanted to bring her on is because she is just an expert in terms of leadership, finance, all things administration and superintendent. She has such a unique mindset on the position. And she really enlightens us on her decision-making process. And that is such a hard concept to understand, especially as we get higher and higher up the educational hierarchy. So without further ado, please welcome on to the Ed Essentials podcast, Dr. Danny Trimble. Welcome to the Ed Essentials Podcast. My name is Hunter Flesh. I'm an educator and podcast host, and in each episode, I hope to equip educators through the stories and insights from experts across the education field. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram and Twitter, at Ed Essentials, and leave this show a review. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Now let's get started. Welcome, Ed Essentials listeners. I have Dr. Danny Trimble on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here today. Yes. And you, we were just talking before the podcast. You're enjoying your summer. You, you sounds like you had an awesome day at work, just getting a lot done. Yeah. The days when it's very quiet in the office are kind of precious. And so we're just clicking things off the list today. That's awesome. And I'm sure your list is just absolutely never ending. Um, for those that don't know you, Tell listeners and myself, because I'm curious, a little bit about your journey in edu- education and where you're at now. Yeah, so I'll start from uh, the reverse so people know where I'm headed. I am currently a superintendent in, the district is Albernet, which is a small community just north of the Cedar Rapids metro area. So that's kind of the culmination. Um, like so many people in my position, I've just kind of made my way through various um educational position. So I started teaching a long time ago, actually, and getting this question made me kind of get out my fingers and count how long has it been? (laughs) Actually, 27 years ago, I started as a high school band instructor. And um, music is very near and dear to my heart. It was a great start for me in the career path, but um, just got the itch to keep going back to school. And so I've been a curriculum director, a middle school principal, an elementary principal, and then uh, for the last 14 years a school superintendent. So yesterday, day one of year 10 in this particular school district, which in my field is kind of against the odds a little bit. 
That is super rare. And I work for listeners who don't know, I work with your daughter, Taylor. She's amazing. She told me that you were, I think, second youngest, uh, like the second youngest superintendent in the state of Iowa's history. Is that true? So I think so. And the funny, <laughs> the funny thing about hearing you say that is that I'm not young anymore. But at one point in my life, I believe that statement to have been true. <laughs> we'll say it's true. That Essentials podcast just confirmed it. It's true. <laughs> Perfect. That's, that's incredible. And, you know, I think about, cause my mom was a, she's a retired now, but she was a former administrator and she had taught for a long time, you know, before she even thought about administration and then rose up very quickly to end her time as a high school principal. And I always wonder about like when people know yeah. the change is right for them, like what clicked and, and a lot of administrators say, well, someone shoulder tapped me and they, they saw potential in me that I didn't see in myself or, or, and there are, it's the opposite too. I interviewed um, Kim Tierney, a principal at um, Waukee. And she, after four years of teaching immediately went into that administrative role. She just knew. And so for you, what, when did you kind of know you wanted to start making the transition into administration and further on? Looking back, I moved really quickly. I didn't realize I was moving quickly at the time. Uh, I just always felt like there was more, I, I just, there was more I could give, there was more I could do. And so I never intended to be an administrator, never at all. And it was not anti-administration. I just never thought about it. And so my master's degree is in curriculum and instruction. And that led me into just more instructional leadership. And so very frequently, I would be at administrative level meetings with principals and, and thinking, I would like to do that work. Or as we sometimes quietly do in our own head, I might do that differently. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I very quickly um, went back to school and uh, added a principal license. And then that got me kind of wheels turning and I was far enough in that I finished a specialist degree. And then I noticed I wasn't very far away from being able to complete a superintendent's license. And uh, so it just kind of, it, it was never what I planned to do, but it was always so obvious that should be the next step. Mm. I think back to um, teachers that I had as a child and um, they always made me feel like I could. So many of them made me feel like I could. Uh, there's a, an old body of research now about um, kind of that self-fulfilling prophecy, but more um, uh, the, the Rosenthal effect that when when teachers were told certain expectations about children, then they sort of moved them into the fulfillment of that expectation. And I feel a lot like that was, was my pathway as a child. And it kind of just created that yes, I can mindset. Mm -hmm. I'm a first generation college student. And by the time I moved my way through those, that process and became a superintendent and had credits that got me well on my way to a doctorate degree, it just became a life goal that um, they, they call it a terminal degree for a reason. It's like the last step, right? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> yeah, it's wow. been a great journey. Yeah. It sounds like just, yeah, it's, it appeared so obvious to you. It just kind of snowballed and snowballed until you are where you are. That's amazing. And, and for you, as you went through all those experiences, I'm sure there are a variety of challenges that you faced. You know, I'm sure the challenges themselves changed um, as the role changed for you. But 
you know, as a superintendent now, maybe rewinding back to your first year when you started, what gave you the certainty to deal with those challenges? And maybe it was that mindset um, of you growing up where you felt like you could just achieve no matter what was faced in front of you. And you always had that mindset, even when things weren't going well, but, you know, hearing from you, what do you think those, what gave you that certainty to deal with all those changing challenges? Well, certainly it was that mindset that is just part of, of who I am. And then, and I can't have this conversation without throwing my faith in there. I just know that I'm put in places that are not of my choosing to do work that um, I've been given to do. And so it's just my job to step into it. So I, the challenges are there every year. They've been different every one of the 14 years I've been a superintendent and before that. Um, certainly being young and being female would have been at the top of the list back in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't a challenge that I chose to make uh, too big of an obstacle. Instead, you just refocus on what the work is. And back then it was um, navigating whole grade sharing and combining districts and closing buildings and just way too many other things to think about than worry about being young and, and technically speaking, a minority. Yeah. Yeah, it, it truly is. It's accurate. And I was, I was curious about that because for me, and I know Taylor is really interested in this too, is leadership within education. And part of the reason why I ask you that question is because <laughs> you're making all these high level decisions that have long lasting impacts. And I know I've got a question later on about it, but, you know, to have the, the confidence and the certainty in making this decision, knowing it's best for kids and knowing that not everyone's going to like what you have to say all the time. That's, that's something that's really hard for me to wrap my head around, probably because I haven't had to do it very often. And most of the time, the, the audience that I'm doing those decisions with are seventh graders. <laughs> so that's a lot easier. But I, I was just curious about your mindset. Is there a certain mindset that you try to focus on or, or a mindset that you try to have that you approach your job with each day? It, yeah. I mean, it, it, foundationally is that faith do do good do what you're put on this earth to do but beyond that too um, I, I always strive for clarity around why so that confidence in decisions isn't because I think I'm the smartest person in the room because I'm not I just know that I try hard to vet everything through why are we doing this and when you can't an answer the why you know you're not headed down the right path or something just still isn't quite right. So um, Simon Sinek has some great workout on um, getting to your why first. And so that's a, that's a good default for me all the time. The golden circle, right? You got it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a big one. And that's something that in college we tried to use when we were in student government was trying to figure out, okay, what is the purpose of our, what, what are we gonna do? And but really like getting to the core of why we're doing it because we could go in so many different directions. And that's, that's a good thing for me to think about too. And, and any educator, because we all have such full plates with all kinds of different priorities. But if you can't answer the why, then why are you spending your time on it? You right. know, I, I just talked to Ken Williams and I know he did, he's done work with your school. Um, and he was very much of the same mindset of if, if it's not about student learning, then we're wasting time. Yep. Yeah, I find that if I'm working with a group or an issue with the school board or a community group, um, when we're stuck, we will automatically go into, at least this is my thinking, um, like a, a five whys process or root cause analysis, one of my favorite things to do and just keep asking the questions until you dive down into, okay, there's the thing we need to be working on now. 
Mm, I love that. One of the big reasons why I wanted to bring you on um, was this idea of the financial aspect. And there was a tweet on uh, Twitter from another superintendent out there, and he was talking about funding and the prioritization of funding within school districts. And I'd posed a question of, well, how can we how can we prioritize the things we know impact education the most with a funding model? And, and I have zero answers. I have zero insight into this, uh, obviously, because I'm not a superintendent, so I'm not in charge of any budgets. Um, and, but in talking with my mom as she was an administrator, she always dealt with budget cuts. She always dealt with financial tweaks that she had to make constantly. And it always seemed like she had to make adjustments that were out of her control. And so really my question is, is what is even a budget for the beginning of a, of a, sorry, I phrased that question wrong. What does a budget for a school district really look like? You know, what does that piece of the pie look like? But then how much flexibility do we have? You know, I'm not even taking into account having to cut staff, having to cut programs or any of that, but maybe we could start there. Yeah. So we can take that one from, from more of a high level. And you said it as you started this, um, this train of thinking is it's about priorities. And so it does start with getting clear with your board and your leadership team about what your district priorities are. And school finance, the the funding is very challenging. We all know that it's scarce, um, it's enrollment driven, but we have to be clear on our priorities or we don't make the right choices within that. Um, One of the things I think we in education are really not good at is letting go of some things. So that um, prioritization and and you would say even flexibility comes when we're willing to let go of some things. So if you're in a budget cutting scenario, um, first of all, it should never surprise you. I'm a huge proponent of long-term projections so you can see things coming. But If you're willing to make shifts and let go of things, then the resources that you need for the priorities you've chosen will will be there. So over 80% of our budgets in any school district, generally speaking, will be on personnel. And that is perfect because that's our most precious resource. It's children, of course, but they're the end product. The Mm -hmm. way we get there is through hiring quality individuals that we can continually build up and um, just keep filling their buckets. So we have to be prepared to spend that much of our budget on those folks. And then the programming that we offer to children is how we, we, we move things around. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's, there's all kinds of coin phrases for those things that we, we don't want to change. Um, that, you know, we, we just want to hold on to because they're tradition. Mm-hmm. And again, if we're using those processes of digging deep into why, Sometimes we can just let ourselves let go and, and, you know, the funding that is behind that piece can be shifted to something else. So um, the flexibility on the surface, we look like we have very little, but if we're willing to ask ourselves the hard choices about what we can let go of or should let go of, then we've got more flexibility. Hmm. So I guess (laughs) a follow-up question then is say you are experiencing a challenge within your school what does the decision-making process look like then to allocate funds towards said issue, right? Is it through the avenue of TQ dollars? Is it through the avenue of, okay, I'm going to leave it up to my principals to identify the problems within their schools. 
Is it that kind of flexibility that you're thinking of or enlighten me on that? Cause that's a whole. Well, so I think again, um, I didn't talk very much about it, but uh, long-term projections are really important. So you think of a school district the finances behind it as uh, an enormous ocean liner. You can't decide tomorrow that you wanna go the other direction. It's gonna take you a long time to turn that big ship around. So I'm talking five years, maybe three, if it's something that you really couldn't see coming. So you start making moves three to five years ahead of time, if you can, and large scale like that, at least my experience has been that we do that at the district level, but all the players are at the table. Transparency and all of this is huge because the choices are not always going to be easy to live through. You have to live them together. You have to tell your, tell your why stories together. You have to adjust your priorities together um, so that it's always we moving forward through those. Hmm. And that's a really big challenge just to even connect a school with the community. I feel like um, (laughs) we just say build relationships all the time with kids. And that's a really hard thing to do. I feel like the same is said for teachers, administrators, school staff. Hey, connect with your community uh, and get them to understand where you're coming from. Okay, easier said than done, but we're going to try it. So maybe how do you go about doing that as a superintendent? I believe it's very intentional which is not to mean um, that it's artificial in any way, Mm -hmm. but you do have to be very intentional. Um, I get the opportunity every now and then to work with some groups outside my district. And I work from um, a framework that I have called um, uh, circles of influence. So to get a visual on this, because we've got no pictures today, (laughs) imagine if you're standing in front of a a completely um, still pond and you just pick up a stone and throw it as far out as you can and and imagining those ripples going outward. So those are your circles of influence and every circle needs an intentionality or or a plan, if you will. And the middle is how are you intentional with yourself? And then as you go outward, the people like next for me would be my close administrative team and then would be my uh, district leader team and then would be staff and the board and the community onward and onward. So there's an intentionality and having strategies in place in each one of those circles is how you stay connected. Um, If you leave it to chance, this job or any administrative job in education will sort of eat your time alive and it won't happen. So I'm talking these are true, put it on your to-do list things. quick hit example, just so you know what I'm talking about. I do a podcast as well, Hunter. It's so different than this, but it falls into one of those circles of connecting with my staff and to the community. Um, so I have a set uh, set of questions that I use with teachers to help people get to know them outside mm-hmm. of the school. And every Monday I post one, it's called The Heart of Albernet. And we talk about what do you do outside of school and what do you like to read and what music do you like? And it's very lighthearted, but it's an ongoing intentional connection to the staff and to the community. I love that. I didn't know I was dealing with a famous podcaster too. This is awesome. <laughs> it's a very local thing. <laughs> no, that's, that is, but that's such a cool and unique way. I, I don't, I haven't heard of any other administrator doing something like that, let alone a superintendent. And so, and that shows too, not even just, 
as you're saying that, I'm like, oh, wow, that'd be really cool for students to get to know the, the teachers as well if they're going into the school year, even parents. But that's almost a, a easy way for you to get to know all your staff just that much better because I'm, I don't know how much, how many over, staff you oversee, but it is difficult, I'm sure, to try and build those connections with those staff. And so if they can truly see that you're taking intentional time to connect with them and show you know, the community that that's a huge, <laughs> a huge deal. That's really Particularly cool. this year, we, we needed every reason to be connected to each other because it was so hard to do it otherwise. And, uh, as much as I love being in classrooms, and that's really important in this role, we didn't feel as free and comfortable to move in and out of every classroom as we would normally. So you're right, I didn't, I didn't have the natural connection that I would have with staff. And so intentionality. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I, this isn't a question on the list, but I was curious so you said back to sort of the finance part of this, you said that 80% of a typical budget is your staff. And so, and I'm sure Taylor and I've gone back and forth and talked about it too, but that makes the hiring process super, super important then for you. And obviously any superintendent or any school leader knows how important hiring is. But again, you, you're talking about intentionality. I, as I was a teacher try, or not a before I was a teacher, I was going through that interview process and some districts were very, very intentional and some were, didn't even have a table at the, uh, at the career fair, you know, type of deal. And so how do you make sure that when you're hiring process, you know, when you're hiring potential teachers, staff, whomever, what are the ways that you're intentional about that entire process? So the questioning that we do in the, in the system that we use is very much um, designed to get at folks who will match the mindset we're looking for, but also make us better. So um, over 14 years, I'm sure that there have been little nuances that have changed, especially in the last 10 years in this district, but not large scale changes to our process. So we have um, a, a team at the table all the time, unless there's some huge extenuating circumstance, I'm at the table every time. And it is just to be sure that fit is really strong um, with our core values, with our vision for the future. Even when it's one of those positions that everybody in the state is probably looking for the same (laughs) position, um, it's not okay to not hire the best for our kids. So we're, we're really strong on that. And we have had the pleasure of hiring some many actually phenomenal people here. I love how you say that you're, you're focusing on the mindset too, of the the type of mindset you want from a person. And I've heard this ever since I've come out of college is that any school can teach you the skills you need to be a better teacher, better, better in your science content, better in your math content, whatever it is, but they can't teach you to have a growth mindset. They can't teach you to, be motivated to show up and have the biggest impact on kids you possibly can every single day. And I know that's a lot to ask for, but that's the expectation. That's what we're looking for. And so I love how you're that you have that focus of the mindset, not just like, like you mentioned, we could all be looking for a, a family consumer science position, right. In the state. I know those are rare, Mm -hmm. Um, but like you said, you have to have the right person. You can't just have someone who's just, you know, is the only qualified person in the state to do it, that might, person might not be the best for you. Right, right. And, and if you are interested in working here, it would be because you're comfortable being at the edge of your comfort zone. 
Mm. And that's not for everybody. If that doesn't fit for you, that this isn't a district that you're going to want to be in anyway. That's how we roll here. I love that. So can I dig a little bit deeper on that then? What type of questions or scenarios do you give your interviewees that help make you realize that? Yeah. So, so one question that we use some form of every time is how are you creating opportunities for your students to challenge the status quo, to make a difference in the world? And um, just as a way for us to get a glimpse into do you think outside your classroom? Do you think, because that's a, that's a, for some folks really on the edge of their comfort zone. For some people, they just knock it out of the park and they talk about groups they connect to or um, social issues that they were working with outside of their classroom. Um, so that's a kind of tip your hat for us so that we know, can you function sort of outside that very prescribed way of running a classroom. Mm -hmm. um, we ask, what's the best question you asked your students today? And that one generally gets a, oh, that's a question I haven't heard before. Yeah. I, everybody can grab that one. You can use it now. Um, <laughs> and, and obviously, I would hope, obviously, for us in this district, we're at, we're looking for any question that is about, did you challenge the student to think? To just, to just think. That's what we want. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Gosh, now you're making me wonder, like, oh, do I have answers to those questions? I got to go back and think about that a little bit. <laughs> those are awesome. I'm, I'm, yeah, wow. You're going to make me reflect now. Um, so thinking about that then, thinking about the importance of bringing in those staff members that are going to have that impact, that are going to make the students think um, and push them to think outside of the, their comfort zone. Is that would you say the biggest mistake that districts are making in terms of finances, like, does it come down to just hiring better people or, or what, when you get to work with other administrators, what are some of the financial decisions do you, that you're seeing them make? Like, are you seeing them make these big mistakes just with hiring is the biggest mistake in, you know, the, their budget and where they're allocating certain funds to, is it just simply, we don't have enough money. So we're just kind of struggling right now. What do you see the biggest mistakes being for administrators? I think it would all go back to um, projections. And I, I'm a, a little bit over the top with my projections. Some of the worksheets, I, I love me a good Excel worksheet. <laughs> Some of them are 20 years out in the future and many things are going to change there. But I think the biggest mistake is not making those long-term projections. And it's not just a, a one-shot projection on, you know, if, if we do this, here's what it looks like. It's also building multiple scenarios so that you're ready to move that ocean liner as mm -hmm. soon as you know you need to. Um, so that, that would be one thing I, I suspect that probably if there are problems that we're just not looking ahead far enough and reacting soon enough. Um, Second would be probably lack of transparency. It is just really important to be <clears throat> absolutely transparent, telling stories about what's working and what's not working. And again, because we are going through this together, not me or I or you, 
and making sure that everybody knows why things are being done and have a voice in that. Mm-hmm. I, I want to highlight that because that is very, very important. And that's, although it sounds very like, duh, easy to do, it's, I'm, it's terribly hard to do. And so for you as, as the uh, leader of your district, how do you ensure that there is, are those level, is those levels, are those levels of transparency? I feel like I'm saying that totally wrong. How do you feel like there, how do you establish those levels of transparency at each level? Because I feel there is a lot of frustration within schools when the teachers hear one thing from their principal, but then the principal is talking to the superintendent and it's a different thing. And then we always feel like we're not quite on the same page. You know, there's all these different lines of communication that are not clear. And obviously it's very difficult. So how do you ensure that there's transparency across the board? Mm-hmm. Well, well, we're never going to have enough communication. We all right. know that, but uh, it, it's, it's being present and it's being available and being in as many conversations as you can. So thinking again about those, those circles of influence, if there's an intentionality to be <clears throat> in each of those circles with your communication, and that's what's time consuming. Um, digging through facts and, and coming up with recommendations, you know, that, that's, that's work, but it's time consuming when you have to think about now, um, I have clarity. What does my team think about this? How can we work through it? Okay, now let's make sure we're all communicating the same message out to say the staff and then for me to the school board. And so it's one piece of information can require, I don't know, five or six different forms of of actual communication to make sure you've covered stakeholders. I think that's a step that can be forgotten by myself even, and you know it, the minute you miss a group, you're like, oh, I, I didn't get that newsletter article clear, or I should have. Um, I've, I've been doing some video blogging out to the community, and you know, I should have done another video on that or something. <laughs> you know the minute you miss a group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they will let you know, I'm sure. You know, you hear about it on the back end. Yeah, then that's when Facebook tells you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we all love a good old Facebook rant, don't we? <laughs> So that's a really good transition to this next question then. I mean, because you're doing your best and obviously you're doing a very, very successful job of making sure that each level of your district has clear lines of communication and as much communication as possible. But your job is very complex and there are so many pieces to it that I'm sure even your administrative team may not be aware of or even things that you're just dealing with on a day-to-day basis as you overcome new challenges. Um, even though you've been a superintendent for um, this long. So, I mean, what do you think is the most misunderstood part of the superintendency? You know, it's funny. Um, I'll tell you the first thing that just came to my mind. I was working with the group not that long ago, and <laughs> the conversation wandered into this a little bit. And I said, don't you find it interesting that people actually think we're the super principal? Uh, it's the job is a superintendent, which has an entirely different job description than the next level of a principal. Okay, so and that's how we move through our career. We take these steps that appear like we're just taking on more responsibilities. And um, so I'll say that again, we're not the super principal. So the 
things I get called in uh, to, to be involved in sometimes is too soon, right? So um, principals need time to do their job. And it's the, the minute things maybe need more unpacking for them. And if they just had more time to do their job, things would resolve. If I jump in too soon because someone thinks I should, I'm just doing their job and getting in their way. The work of a superintendent, so back to your question, misunderstood, the work of a superintendent is very different than a principal. It's not next level principal work. It's working with the community, working with the board, working with a, a, a group of tax paying constituents. It's entirely different. And I, because so few people do the job or, or know a superintendent's day-to-day -day work, that's the part I think gets misunderstood. So follow-up question that's I hopefully will be difficult um, is how then do you fix that misconception? So possibly I have a bit of a passive aggressive streak once in a while. <laughs> One of my favorite questions would be uh, along the lines of, um, so, so what did the principal say when you asked them about that? <laughs> Just pushing the conversation back where it belongs. Mm -hmm. um, and, and sometimes I even get in, you know, called into conversations about classroom level. And it's not that I'm not interested, but I want the people who are in the situation to work through it. And so first question always is, when you contacted the teacher with your concern, what was their response to you? And as you can guess, Hunter, probably 80% of the time, it was, I, I don't want to, I'm, I just can't, I just am not going to. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna be able to help you until you try and work through this yourself. That's all, that's Todd Whitaker shifting the monkey and Taylor recommended that book to me. You know, it's like, it's putting the responsibility where it's supposed to be. It's not, like you said, it's not trying to cop out of anything. It is simply making sure the people that are supposed to be involved are involved first. And if it's something that es you know escalates and needs your attention, then it becomes your attention. But I, I can even see that with, you know, teachers and teams and even on, on smaller levels where we just have this, um, misplacement of responsibilities and it just happens so easily you know and, and unless you're very clear on your priorities and what you're what you're supposed to be dealing with and when then those things get convoluted and your plate gets really heavy really quickly mm -hmm. so that's that's a really good reminder yeah yeah and it is as you say a reminder that's something that doesn't necessarily come natural if you're a fixer and many people who get into an administrative role tend to be fixers myself included you got to step back this isn't my fix. It's not my monkey. <laughs> <laughs> not my monkey. I love that. Uh, so one question I have, or one uh, thought I have to sort of go off of that is how often do you try to get into classrooms? Is that something that you schedule? Is that something that you, um, when you just want to check in on teachers or, or how do you go about visiting classrooms as a superintendent? Well, pre-pandemic, I think right. I was pretty good at it. <laughs> uh, and, and it does for me, my style, it does require calendaring it, um, getting out a list of every classroom in the district, scheduling it in, being willing to give myself a pass and move it around if something comes up. Um, and then the more you do it, the more folks can get comfortable with the idea that when I walk into the room, you don't have to pause and say, can I help you? Or is there something you need? Everyone just knows comfortably that 
just in here. And by the way, I'm not looking at you, teacher. I want to see what's in front of the, the kids and, you know, what level of work are we doing together? And so the more, the more you can do that, the more comfortable everybody gets. Have you had any teachers request that you be in their room? Like, Hey, I would love it if you come visit or, or, or and I only ask that because I'm totally that way. I'm like, I don't care who's in my room. I don't care who you are, where you're from. doesn't matter. Just come in and watch. A any feedback would be great, please. Uh, but I know that's not normal. Uh, a lot of teachers get really, really scared when, uh, when a, a suit or a, a higher up comes in and they think they're being evaluated. So have you had teachers request you? Is that like, how does that work? Yeah, there are, um, there are some staff members in this district who are very comfortable with that and um, you know so want to engage in collaboration or conversation about their work um, yes it's fewer than than as you were saying Hunter it's you're not entirely a unicorn but you might be close <laughs> I'll take it uh, yeah uh, I think that the whole um, uh, transition to teacher leader positions has made us as a profession way better at this, that um, people are so comfortable with other adults moving in and out of their classroom and collaborating and giving feedback and um, asking for suggestions and offering ideas. So um, it's probably becoming more second nature. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Only a couple more questions. So Number one, how can people connect with you or support all the work that you're doing with your district? Yeah, um, connect with me. That kind of causes me to pause because it makes me realize I've taken quite a, a sort of sabbatical from social media. <laughs> I think it's all necessary and, for us at some point. <laughs> yeah, and, and I love social media. So it, I'm not anti, it wasn't anti, it just became quite a time. Uh, issue for me to the choices I was making with time. So I can't rattle off, you know, connect with me on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that. Uh, but I will say I do love to collaborate and talk about education. And so um, I would welcome an email to say, let's chat on the phone with my, my district email anytime. I love the opportunities I get to work with groups, especially um, in the area of educational leadership. And we didn't go very deep, but I also have a, a kind of goony appreciation for school finance. We didn't get very deep into it, but. <laughs> well, we can dive deeper for sure. What is, what is something that you wish more people understood about school finance? Because it is one of those sort of nebulous topics, unless you're really in those roles to control it, you're not really, yeah. you don't have much to do with it. So what do you wish people knew more about when it comes to that, that topic area of school finance? Well, it makes sense to me that it, it doesn't have a lot of, the details don't have a lot of relevancy to folks out in other positions in the district. So speaking just to fellow superintendents, um, I think that there's even mildly a fear of school finance. It's complicated-ish. It's different than personal finance. And that's what makes us fearful of it. And so we have highly qualified people in our school business official roles. Um, so it's easy to say, I do this, they do that. Get your hands in there is what I would say. Um, I, I am dabbling in school district finance matters every single day, not doing her job for her, but doing our work together. So that, that would be 
we'll, we'll send everybody off the deep end if I talk too much about the details on this podcast, but for superintendents or especially aspiring superintendents, you know, they sometimes save school finance to the end of a program mm. and it's that last anxiety producing class. It's not to be worried about. It's, it's great stuff. You just have to spend time with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You definitely have to get your hands dirty with it. And so maybe I could ask then, what is one way that you have approached that topic and, and what's something that you might offer as a strategy for superintendents who are in the weeds right now? Like how do they begin to prioritize and build their, their budget or how do they begin to make that first big decision that they know is going to have a, a lot of impact? You know, how would you prep them on that? Just build those worksheets. Yep. <laughs> I love to pour through the details, see where we've been, think about where those numbers will take us in the future. And again, I'll, I'll say projections and scenarios. Mm-hmm. Last thing on that, do you normally do those just for funsies on your own? Or is that with your administrative team? Is that with the board even? What does that process look like? Well, I'll go with for funsies on my own first. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the administrative team wants just enough so they feel informed. They've got their own work to do. Um, but having worked with this board in, in this district now for starting into 10 years, there are certain worksheets that they just know when I'm talking about um, one cent sales tax or PEPL or management fund or whatever that it is. Um, and I put, I use the same worksheet every time as a projection model so that they get familiar. Oh, that's why she's confident about that. That's the worksheet we always look at. So mm-hmm. I do keep that in front of them whenever I can. Yeah. The familiarity. Oh, mm-hmm. for sure. That was something huge when we were doing in student government, I was in charge of a, a committee that handled a large student budget. And so that took a lot of time for me to get familiar, but once it was the same sheet, I would just pull it up every time it became much more comfortable for me. So not anywhere near the impact of, uh, of an entire school district, but I'm trying to create an analogy there. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> awesome. All right, Dr. Trimble, I have one more question for you. It is the question I ask every single guest. So say there is a complete revision of schools from across the world, and we decide to build a new education system from scratch, uh, and they're selecting educators to help offer feedback for what this school system should look like. And they select you, Dr. Danny Trimble, to provide them feedback, but they only limit you to three statements. So what would your three statements be to help them figure out what this new school system should look like? Yeah, well, first of all, high five to you for such a great question. Thank you. Um, Yes, and uh, avoiding run-on sentences because (laughs) a lot one would say. (laughs) It's a doozy, it's a big one. It is, and and I appreciate having time to look at this and think about it. Um, Number one would be that we have to, we have to move away from the factory model of moving children through school by chronological age progression as that is not the way to meet student learning needs. So that's number one. Number two, we talked about a little bit earlier, children have to have the opportunity to walk on the edge of their learning comfort zone and they have to be encouraged to not just ask questions but invent and create questions. So that's that inquiry piece. Mm -hmm. And number three, um, probably now 
I want to say more than ever, but that might not be fair historically, but emotional intelligence matters and addressing that in any school environment has to be a priority for our kids. Now I feel like I feel like I have three more interview topics now for you. I have to bring you on for three more episodes to dive into each of those. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Danny Trimble. This has been a pleasure to meet you and, and hear more about the superintendent's role, finance, and just this level of leadership because it's it's something that I think is very, very nebulous to a lot of people. So you provided a lot of clarity today. So thank you. Well, my pleasure, Hunter. Keep doing this and keep reaching upward and onward. I'll do my best. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ed Essentials Podcast. Original music by Patrick Cunningham. Links to connect with us are in the show notes. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. And remember, always bring your best, and we'll see you next time on the Ed Essentials Podcast. Podcast.